Kui, darling. I'm Glyn Fussell, and welcome to We Can Be Heroes. I'm absolutely buzzing with positive vibrations to bring you stories from people who have achieved varying levels of inspirational wonder. These are individuals who have pushed the boundaries, gone against limitations, and stood up to say, "I am here." From climbing mountains to delving into the deepest of teenage secrets, come with me on a journey of discovery to find out what makes these people my heroes, and I guarantee they will be yours too. Today's guest is a ray of sunshine. She's beautiful, brave, a total British blonde bombshell. Yeah, it was just a night out, and I was probably dancing on a table. And got asked to do a shoot, and I just thought, oh, this is going to be fun. She comes with a shitload of positivity, which she uses wisely to uplift people all over the world. I believe that when you put good energy out into the world, that it does return to you. And her work as a plus-size model and activist has led her to become the trailblazer for body image positivity. It is Felicity Hayward. Hi, babe. I want to take you back to a particular moment in time, actually, when. When I say I first met you, you were unaware that I existed. But the first time I clapped eyes on you, and it was in a very special place to both of us, the George and Dragon. <laughs> and I was quite new to East London, and and I walked on in, and there you were dancing up a riot on a table. <laughs> I just honestly remember this infectious, <laughs> joyous light of energy. Can you remember that time? Take me back to what made you go. It is a tiny gay bar at the top of Hackney Road in London. Everyone just flocked there. It was like this kind of like little creative hub where we all used to just go and like release our inner in a disco. I think it was so tiny. <laughs> it was the size of Andy Peters' broom cupboard, essentially. And yet there you have these huge fashion designers and and drag queens and queer kids and all existing in something that is essentially a shoebox, right? It was so small, but everywhere you looked, it was like a little gay museum. We met in the amazing sort of queer underground. Mm. And I feel like you were such an integral part of that community. Why did they find you and why did you find them? I just feel that in London at that time there wasn't very many places to like go out that was very inclusive and I felt like the Georgian Dragon like it just had this like magic sparkle. You know, my career started there. I remember dancing to Diana Ross and I can never remember the song. Everyone always asked me and um got asked to do a shoot as Anna Nicole Smith and to be honest, I was dressed like Anna Nicole Smith throughout that whole decade. Yes, you were. <laughs> <laughs> the early years I want to point out. But yeah, it was just a night out and I was probably dancing on a table and got asked to do a shoot and I just thought, oh, this is going to be fun. Um I I love the camera. <laughs> <laughs> my my nan and granddad will love to see these pictures because they're like my nan is like my biggest supporter and I'd actually gone to university to study photography and when I found out the shoot was by Miles Aldridge I was like oh my god like he's he shot David Lynch like he's he's, he is incredible and I was like this is such a huge opportunity for me the pictures will be amazing and, and my nan and granddad can have them that was literally it uh, stuff like that does not normally happen. Do you understand the significance of such a colliding in this small place that you were spotted and it launched your career? Loads of people's careers start from there. And like, 
it was because we were all being our authentic self and we were all just having fun. I believe that when you put good energy out into the world that it does return to you and it happened. It's really difficult for me actually because so many girls, like young girls always ask me like, how did you become a plus size model? Like, how can I get into it? And <laughs> go down the pub, babes. <laughs> When I started, when I did that, I did that shoot, the only other like curvy person that I remember seeing in a magazine is Beth Ditto. Yes, of course. She was on the cover of Love and she was also on the cover of NME. And obviously she's an icon in her own right. I absolutely mm. adore that woman. But the reason why she was on those covers as well is because she's such a successful musician. I didn't think plus size modeling would ever going to be a thing, babe, because there wasn't any plus size, like Beth Ditto wasn't a plus size model. She was a musician a and an artist. Yeah. She's a rock star, yeah. Plus size models in this country did not exist. They did in America. Like America yeah. were way ahead of us. Um, and yeah, wh when I got scouted in the pub and the shoot came out and then I got signed, I genuinely thought it was a bit of a joke. And I remember the time as well for you. It felt so exciting and it felt like you just exploded and you were everywhere there was vogue glamour id names 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 <laughs> darling <laughs> what was the biggest pinch me moment the anna nicole smith shoot with miles aldridge it lasted something crazy like 20 hours it was a really really Oof. long i didn't care i was like this is the most exciting thing that's happened to me and in one of the pictures i had maybe like a six tier cake a wedding cake that was used for sort of like the wedding scene or the picture and obviously, like, I have no idea of, like, shoot etiquette. So after the set, and me being me, I was like, Miles, what are you doing with that cake? Can I have it? <laughs> I love you. And he obviously just laughed and he was like, yeah. Because obviously I just didn't know. I didn't know that you probably shouldn't ask for things from set. And I was like, <laughs> I don't give a shit. So... He was like, of course you can. We took the cake home and the next day I took it down the Georgian Dragon and we all cut it up and ate it. Oh my God, that's unbelievable. That's such a great story. That was obviously an incredible shoot. But I think the one that kind of stood out for me the most was he rebooked me actually quite a few times and I got booked for a MAC Cosmetics campaign in New York. And I actually hadn't ever flown on my own before which is crazy thinking about it now and they flew me to New York and it was all at Spring Studios mm. and I turned up and there was Kelly and Sharon Osborne doing a different shoot for Mac on the same day and then some other like incredible model and then there was my set and they had built me a plane oh can you imagine God. I was like Right. I'm in New York for the first time. They've built me this plane for me to sit on. And Val Garland was doing my the makeup. iconic Val Garland. Yeah, so Val was like, I'm going to bleach your eyebrows. And I was like, yeah, sure. She bleached my eyebrows. I looked like an alien, but it was fine. <laughs> and then after the shoot, she was like, should we dye them back? And I was like, no, this is quite cool. I'm going to dye them pink. So I went over, met Amanda Lepore, did our hair and makeup and I went out with bright pink glitter eyebrows. Amazing. Two days later, they started growing back and looking like salt and pepper were awful. But we live in that moment. <laughs> we do live in the moment. You've been so crucial, especially in this country, for 
taken away the stigma around body image and what is deemed perfect. And fashion is so geared around that. So did you realise that you were disrupting the industry so much? And was there ever a pushback from people within the industry against you? Well, because I kind of got thrown in at the deep end. And at the beginning, I was kind of made aware that I was a bit of a gimmick because a lot of people wanted to shoot me naked. And I was like, no way am I doing this naked because I think you're taking the piss out of me because you're not used to seeing bigger bodies within the industry. So you have to have them naked. Like that's not okay. Mm. No, I just want to be a model like everyone else. I don't want to have to be making a statement all the time by being naked. Or tokenistic. I do remember that I got an option for Playboy and it was with Terry Richardson And this was before the time of all the the shit that came out about him. And I remember getting the email through and it was like, oh, there's three different options for you. Option one is fully nude. Option two is just boobs out. And then option three is just underwear. I was like, there's something not right here. There's not something not right about this guy. There's something not right about these options. I was like, do I get to have an option? And I pulled myself from the job. And I remember at the time my agents were annoyed at me. And I was like, there's something that's just not sitting right with me. And then literally two, three weeks later, all of that stuff came out about him. And I was like, thank God I didn't do this. That takes courage, especially somebody that's been thrown in the deep end into an industry that they essentially do not know. Where did you find that courage from? It was actually from like the support that I had because the first few jobs I did, I was pretty terrified to be honest. And it wasn't until I kind of saw the reactions for like basically my friends and family that were curvier. They were like, oh my God, like you need to carry on with this because we're not in things like this. We're never high fashion. We're never in all of this. And I do know that if I hadn't been shot by Miles, I wouldn't be where I am today because people only wanted to use me because I was associated to him. But I made it work in my favour. And it's funny, though, because when you do high fashion and when you're in all these amazing magazines and stuff, people don't realise you don't get paid. And I think that's one of the things that people really forget about the modeling industry that when you do these hired editorials with these amazing fashion photographers you don't get paid so at the beginning of my career I was doing all these amazing shoots but I couldn't pay my rent and I'd like quit my job I was working actually training to be a primary school teacher and specializing in art yeah so I was I was doing all of that and then Then I obviously got scouted in the pub and I had to leave the job as training to become a teacher because I was like, look, I need to take this risk. There's an opportunity here which could absolutely fail, but there also is no one like me or girls of my size in the industry. Do I take this risk? And also I was working with kids that were autistic, so I couldn't just keep popping in and out. You know, sure. you have to be like, yeah. re- you have to really stay and and be be there for these children every single day. You can't just pop out and fly to New York for something and come back. It It's not good for them. So I took the decision to leave. And yeah, I couldn't pay my rent. I was working um, at the retro bar at nighttime as well, like trying to get money because then plus size brands like didn't exist. I think people listening to this now is like, literally you had Evans simply be so it it was really tough at the start and it wasn't until the brands started to open up to plus size 
and see the power of it mm. and see the power of representation. Representation is everything. And I feel like we are in a time now where uh, people that don't fit into that idea of what is traditionally or uh, that like very aged idea of beauty, mm. um, f- thankfully that is being represented now. But I mean, when you were growing up, was there anyone that you looked up to? Did you see someone that you aspire to be? Not Rod Stewart. <laughs> oh, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Rod Stewart is the reason why I have blonde hair. It's not Marilyn Monroe. I cut my hair into a mullet and bleached it and wore leopard because of Rod. The person that really has, I've looked up to my whole life, is my gran is my Nan Sybil. It has to be. She was the person that when I was younger, when I was in my hometown, when I didn't fit in with everyone else, when I couldn't shop in the same shops as my friends, she was the one taking me to charity shops, car boot sales. She would find me the most insane, amazing outfits and stick sequins and put shoulder pads in everything. And she was the person that taught me to be unapologetically myself. And my mum didn't. My mum hated the way I dressed. She wanted me to look like everyone else. It only takes one person, doesn't it? It takes one person to see you and to to lift you up and cheerlead you on when you're not feeling your best. Yeah. Do you realise that you do that now for young girls? Do you, do you understand the position, that the role model status, and, and how does that sit with you? I mean, I get messages from, you know, young girls, and I have for, like, since I really started. And it's it feels really special to me because... I was going into teaching. I was going in to try and help others and use my voice. And I chose this career because I thought I could help in some way. And so to have that now, it's, it's almost like a teaching, making sure I didn't make the wrong mistake. When I started this, I always thought, I've got a little sister. She's now 19. Obviously, she was a lot younger when I started. <laughs> and I just wanted to make a space for her to understand that her body and the way that her body is going to change, especially as a woman, it is fine and that she should love herself for who she is. And that was my main thing when I started modelling. I wanted to make sure that my sister was okay. And if it was only my sister that it benefited, I'd done my job. And one of the most amazing things is this week, my little sister got in touch and she called me she said I'm doing a project at uni about body positivity and I wanted to talk to you about it and that for me was one of the most amazing things for me because we've gone completely back full circle and I feel like I've completed it now just because my little sister is okay so anyone else that it benefits is amazing I feel like your intentions have always been so pure and you've retained that and I think in an industry that can be absolute cutthroat and and quite vicious at times, you've managed to retain the focus of why you started. I think I think you have to because it is, like you said, it is a can be a real hideous industry. Um, you're you're based off your looks, which is <laughs> is kind of ridiculous in one sense, but I understand it on another and you have to stay true to you. And the only way that you're going to do that is if you keep being yourself. I don't have any time for drama. Mm. There's a saying, you know, be nice to people on your way up because you have to pass them on your way down. I want to ask you because 
you don't all of a sudden reach the magical island and then all of the pressure and strain leaves. Do you still feel that pressure? There is pressure in everything, especially with work. And I mean, I'm 32 now and as a model and especially as a plus size model, that's actually really quite old because I started my career when I was 23 slash nearly 24 and that itself was quite an old time <laughs> to, to get into modeling but because it was plus size we were kind of allowed to be a little older because the fashion for us was actually a little bit more dated so we could get away with being older. I've got less pressure now because the industry has changed and evolved now you've got models of all ages, you've got the term influencer, so like people are now their kind of own mini models online. And I feel like there's actually less pressure now because the industry is more diverse with work that we can continue to work. But then at the other time, there is more pressure because there's more people doing the stuff that you're doing. Um, I think the one thing that I would say is just stay in your own lane, stay focusing on the things that you are good at. Just don't put too much pressure on yourself and make sure that you aren't overworking yourself. And and again, the reason why you're so successful, babe, is because, like you said to me, you have stayed the same person. You're really fun to be around. You've got a really nice energy. People flock to you because you're not being fake and you're not trying to be anyone else. And that that's, that's the biggest takeaway you can take is just continue to be you. And you are going to feel like you're going to have pressures from others because comparison is such a big thing within our industry. But just you've, you've got to be strong and just mm. continue to do what you do best. Listen, we touched on social media before, and I know that you've received abuse online. How do you recover from that? So, or, or just how do you not get consumed by it? I think one of the biggest things is when somebody is trolling you, they're doing it from a not, not a good place from themselves. So you have to always think that when someone is attacking you online... It's because they don't understand you. They don't understand who you are as a person. They don't understand your soul. They don't understand your energy. They don't understand why you can be so happy and confident and comfortable in your own skin and why they can't be. And the problem is, is I do feel sorry for these people because a lot of the times it's the way that they've been brought up or the pressures from society or what the sort of industry standard of beauty is. It's the misunderstanding that creates trolls. And you know what, it's really tough. And I can't say that, you know, I sit here and just don't, I don't get upset sometimes by trolls. But I have to think of the bigger picture here. The things that I do and the things that you do represent and bring together so many people that are in places of darkness that you have to ignore the ones that, that are trying to bring you down because you're the person spreading love and light and happiness. And if you allow someone to take that away from you, then it's only going to create more darkness with other people if you're not here. The ones I find easy are the ones when they're just fake profiles, you know, no pictures, no whatever. And I'm just like, oh, whatever, get, get a life. And you just have to block it. You just have to block it or you have to report it depending on what is being said. But I had a funny situation happen with trolling. It was when I was on a TV show and we were we only wore body paint. 
Uh, it was a body confidence show to help people overcome their insecurities. And there was a picture of me uh, on Instagram lying on the beach with a pina colada and I had body paint all over me. It wasn't the most, if you want to use the word flattering picture, but it was just me living my life in a really happy moment. And I got this comment from someone saying, um, you're disgusting, you're so fat, I hope you die of a heart attack. And I was just like, I'm literally doing a show which is therapy for others. I am pushing my own boundaries by putting myself out there on telly naked which you know it could have gone both ways you don't know how telly goes it could have been the end of my career but I took that risk because I wanted to help people and I remember I don't usually respond to trolls and I was like no actually like because this could really harm others that that look at this picture I just went it was I was in petty mode that day babe I was like Oh, yes, whatever your name was. You are correct. I am fat. I have an even larger heart, an even bigger personality, and a tremendous wallet. Anyway, that was just me being petty. And a week later, I was in my hometown, and a girl came up to me that I went to school with, and she said to me, oh, I saw a comment recently on your Instagram from a guy that had said this. She said, upon looking on his profile, I actually figured out that he's actually a student in my class. I work as a teacher, and he's a student in my class, and I called in his mother into school because it it happened to be Mental Health Week as well. Wow. His mother is also a curvy woman, so... When she found out that her son had been trolling someone online, he got his social media taken off him. And obviously, he was taught to not be cruel to people. Mm. It's horrible. It's not nice. I mean, we've seen a lot of bullying and trolling, especially in the media over the last few months, which has been hideous. And I wish there was more you could do online. And I wish Instagram had higher security. And took accountability as well. Yeah. For their platform. Yeah. Because you can get away with so much on there and it takes so long for them to respond with certain accusations and stuff. There should be, you know, a whole team dedicated to it because we're living in a, in a moment where not only are the generations, they've been born into technology. like With filters. How do you yeah. feel about filters? I mean, I don't mind filters if they're not changing the way you're looking. I mean, if unless you're putting on like a Batman mask or something crazy. It, it sometimes feels like we're in an experiment, you know? <laughs> Instagram and social media, really, if we look at it, we're in our kind of embryonic stages of it. And it's playing out like an episode of Black Mirror or like Big Brother. And we are the guinea pigs. And that's fine for maybe you and I, who are a little more long in the tooth and a little more thick skin. But it's so worrying and damaging for these young kids that... It would terrify me to be a parent right now. Right. I want to talk to you about self-love brings beauty, which I've been watching closely and I love everything it stands for. So I'd love you to talk about that a bit more. So going back to that first shoot that I did in New York, when the shoot came out, it was a really big deal because I'd never used a plus model before. And I was interviewed by a journalist. And the first things that he said to me were, So what is your diet? Um, What is your gym routine? Um, And all of these questions that had nothing to do with the shoot. And 
for me, I was kind of taken back by it because also like, I'm not used to the fashion industry. I'm not used to this sort of stuff. I'm thinking I'm a plus size model that's done a beauty campaign. You want to talk about that. You don't need to know all of these things and sort of scrutinize me for being able to have this, this space and this job. Cause that's what it felt like. It was like, how are you even here? Why are you here? And I came out of that interview and I thought, God, if that person had self-love within themselves, they would understand that like everyone on this planet can can be beautiful and is beautiful, not just through what they think from their eyes. And I was just like, it kind of kept playing on me. And I was like, self-love and beauty and self-love and beauty. And I was like, well, if you have self-love, it brings beauty. So I thought, I need to do something with this. I don't know what yet. So I started a hashtag and my friend drew my hands to make the logo. And I just started it as a bit of a hashtag online and was like, let's all have this conversation um, about how you're feeling and in your body and do you feel represented and what empowers you. And I then set up like an Instagram and continued the message. I then decided to make this kind of self-love brings beauty gangs and I made merchandise and started to do talks and panels and events and I did a big one in in New York where I had the Goodwill charity involved and we made self-love badges and put them on jackets and it just kind of evolved from there it was just kind of like a, a space where we could talk about these things because like I said I had no idea about the fashion industry at all I had no idea that I was going to be under such scrutiny all the time about my weight I was like the doors open but you're all attacking me so that's where it kind of started and it's just carried on a movement since 2015. The thing is, self-love brings beauty is something that's that's within me, it's in every single piece of work that I do. And it wasn't until the last lockdown when our whole world turned upside down mm. and we were like, oh my God, I'm stuck inside. I've never been stuck inside before. This is crazy. And my mental health really, really deteriorated last lockdown because I was on my own. I had no idea what was going on in the world. Everything had got like taken away from me. Like I lost loads of work and I was just confused. I mean, everyone else was in different states and, you know, I was still very grateful for the situation that I was in. But I then started to pull like different affirmation cards. So every day I was pulling these affirmation cards and I was posting it online and going live and going, give me a number and, and, and doing these cards and I just thought that was the only thing that was kind of getting me through was having something to focus on that day. So I decided to write my own. I thought, look, you've been doing self-love brings beauty for seven years now, <laughs> you know, um, or however long and start writing your own mantras. So every day I wrote a mantra and throughout the whole of last lockdown, I then started to make my own self-love mantra kits, which I then launched at the start of this year. It was just such a nice journey because it was something that was so personal to me during the last lockdown and got me through the last lockdown. Mm. It gave me purpose, it gave me hope, and it helped others. So the whole idea, I think, is to just continue the message in, in any sort of shape and form I can, um, whether that be the mantra cards, um, whether that be through a book, whether that be through events and stuff. I've always said that I wanted to do the Self Love Brings Beauty school tour and start 
different sort of societies and universities. Because that's the thing is when you go to uni and when you're in that sort of weird stages of, you know, 17 to 20, you really grow as a person and you really do change with the surroundings you're at. That's the sort of idea is to do more sort of education and just kind of push the message out. I want to see that. I hope you know the power that you have because every single time I see you, However I'm feeling, you always make me smile. You Same always to lift, you, though, babe. You always lift my spirits. <laughs> and that is such a gift. This has been so phenomenal just to have this time with you. But we do wrap up every show with the same thing. And that is, I want to know a book that has informed your life. Do you know what? I'm going to pick one that has made the biggest impact on me recently. And that is by Emma Louise Knowles and it's the book of crystal healing okay wow the art of crystal healing for me was a journey that I started with crystals maybe 2016 when I was having a bit of a meltdown and I needed something to focus on and crystals brought such a magnificent good energy to my life and her book was the kind of introduction to it so it did play a massive part on the change of my life so Emma Knowles Thank you, baby. It only takes one book, doesn't it? How about a trip that's changed your life? The first time I ever went to Yucca Valley in California with my friend Natalie. That place is a real special place in my heart and we try to go every year. We go to the desert, we turn our phones off, we hang out with Mm. all of the neighbours who are in their 60s. There's the ex-park ranger called Spider who used to be um, the park ranger at Joshua Tree National Park. And we just drive around the desert and we go hunting for crystals and we go and find the smoky vein. That sounds unbelievable. And we go to Salvation Mountain where they live off grid. It's called Slab City and this like all this art everywhere. It's just so beautiful and amazing. Have you met a human or do you have a human in your life that has, has changed your life? I would say not someone in particular, but the gay community when I moved to London really did change my life because I was welcomed with open arms and I wasn't judged like I was in my hometown. So I've got to give it to you guys, babe. I can't give it on one person. It takes a whole community to raise a goddess. (laughs) How about a love that's taught you the biggest lesson? I'm not naming names, but... I will never date a Scorpio man again. Oh, I have been there and it is toxic. (laughs) I had a doormat outside my last apartment that I got made that said, say no to Scorpio dick. (laughs) You want to believe that when you opened the door and you saw the DHL or the DPD or the FedEx or the Hermes, you could tell when they were a Scorpio. You'd open the door to this sort of, sort of sexy smirk and I'd be like, slam that door straight back. Get out. Give me my parcel and leave. <laughs> and we were talking about your love of music and everything. So a, a song that soundtracks your life and, and you can only have one. This song is going to be so obvious and, and embarrassing, but I don't care. But Cool in the Gang celebration has a very special place in my heart for many reasons and whenever anything good happens in my life it gets blasted this has been just phenomenal (laughs) i adore you i can't wait till we get to see each other in real life and um i'll be squeezing you hard my darling oh i look forward to it 
For more positive, life-changing stories of inspiration, make sure you hit subscribe. And next time, it is the wonderful Ebony Rainford Brent. If you look at where cricket provision is, it's often in the Lethia, whiter middle class, nice areas, and there's very little within the diverse kind of inner city. So many groups are just not accessing our sport. Until next time, bye!